You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. John, on this episode of Overtime, we are going to go right into uh, a documentary that really like is, uh, is uh, right up your alley, I would have to say. That is correct, Mitch. This is something that uh, if it was there was a category at the uh, local blockbuster that said John's picks, this would be like front and center. So uh, I it was interesting because like uh, I remember like sharing this trailer with you uh, a while ago. I think right. Yeah. It was, uh, damn, this goes back several months. I think it was pre-Corona. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so too. And then I watched the documentary In the Search of the Last Action Hero uh, a few months ago. So it brought back up the fact that there was this documentary that was very similar because as, as you said, or as you said before we started recording, this is, in a, this is a series of documentaries. In, the, In Search of the Last Action Hero is about the 80s and 90s action stars and how you know the 80s really created the term action star action film star um the second in the series is this one in the search of darkness which is all about the 80s horror films and they i mean it dives a lot into the horror films that came before the 80s but the 80s really changed it up so to speak yeah, something magical happened in the 80s. I mean, like right at 1980, like, you know, this world ushered me in and it basically just said, here, this is for you. <laughs> well, I and, would say that the the magical thing, they even stri- they even talk about it in the documentary. It's VHS. <laughs> the <laughs> VHS comes about and all of a sudden uh, people are watching horror films that are being made on super cheap budget, but in their homes and by everybody. Yeah, and there's a few other documentaries that also dive in more specifically with the influence of VHS. Um, the Canon documentary as oh, well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Dives into that. Um, but yeah, it, it was a revolution of technology that just made it so that, you know, a movie that wouldn't get wide release or yeah, a big budget was now like within the means of people with the the desire to pull it off. I mean, that's how you got your traumas and your canon film groups and all these smaller companies that did enjoy some theatrical release success but really their bread and butter was just the vhs market like that just exploded oh yeah yeah i mean the the do you have to wonder like would it have been the same if beta had won out on uh that whole you know medium war 
It may have eventually turned into this, but the thing about Beta and why it lost out, I'm sure most people know that they follow this kind of thing, is that uh, Sony was very protective of its, uh, I guess, licensing for it. Um, so there's a very good chance that it would have been kind of expensive. Uh, it was better quality than VHS, that much I do know. Um, but it was just more expensive, and Sony was just really protective of it. Um, so, you know, they would have to be licensing other companies to make beta players, essentially. And um, one of the big things, one of the big turning points for v- the war between beta and VHS... It was porn. Which... <laughs> Yes, and I love that in Tropic Thunder, Jay Baruchel's character is just going on on this long rant about this specific subject, and nobody's listening to him. <laughs> but I was like, I know that he's speaking to me right now. Like he, <laughs> he is my surrogate in this movie. Um, so yeah, like that whole porn just revolutionized everything. It's kind of the same with uh, today's technology with web streaming. A lot of advances are being done in the porn industry because they make a lot of revenue and they have a large clientele that they need to satisfy. So it's it's kind of like the same thing over and over. You know, it's whatever new technology comes out, it seems somehow porn is kind of behind the scenes spearheading the improvements in that medium. Well, I mean, I know. I mean, and we're honestly, we're talking about horror movies in this documentary, in this particular podcast. There's quite the the line that you can draw between the two like porn and 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 horror films like i'm not saying horror films are bad and i'm not saying porn is bad but like production value can sometimes be very lacking on horror films and you know there's definitely the scenes there you can tell that there are certain horror movies that people only liked because you got to see gratuitous sex, gratuitous violence, gratu- the two of them mixed together. Um, 80s horror films, it was all about, like, when do you get to see the the naked co-ed uh, right before she gets killed kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, they talk about the horror movie tropes that uh, the horny teenager, you know, is going to be a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a way, it's kind of giving it away. You know, you don't feel bad for them because they're doing the wrong, immoral thing. So their murder is their comeuppance, their their justification. That's right. Uh, doing though that, and uh, it's yeah. There's a lot of uh, one of the big similarities between porn and '80s cheap horror is that you can be light on plot and light on production value. But titillation will still put seats in front of it to, uh, <laughs> to the viewers. This documentary, to both of our surprise, is over four hours long. Like the in the search of the last action hero is like only an hour and a half, if I remember correctly. And this one's over four hours. Uh, I was very shell shocked, and the fact <laughs> that so much of it, like there are a lot of talking heads. There are a lot of people that they interviewed for this, and I understand that you know why they have such. Uh, uh, a vast amount of of information, but I was not expecting to see so much of uh, Tom Atkins and John Carpenter. Yeah, and I can only imagine 
how many more people they'd have in there if they were still alive, like your Wes Cravens, right? Your Winston's. Mm-hmm. Um, they dive into like all the different aspects of you know the horror movies from the day, uh, everything from the uh, special effects people to the iconic uh, you know characters that were involved. I mean, that's, um, I mean, it's interesting. They got they had Greg and Nick Cotero in there a couple of times. I don't know if it was if the interviews that they used were specifically for this or if it was for something else. But like, how come we didn't have Tom Savini in there? Like, they talked about Tom Savini so much, but I don't think they had any interview with him. They did not, and you're right. I think Tom Savini is uh, one of those people that's kind of just done with it. Really, like he just first to take a back seat. Um, I mean, they did talk to some surprising people in there, Um, like uh, Keith David. Yeah, yeah. uh, He's not exactly, uh, you know, like run for the hills, but like it's rare to see him, uh, you know, I feel like speaking out about these things nowadays. Um, I'm sure he probably doesn't have quite as much to do now. Maybe he just welcomed the attention. I mean, Uh, the thing was a very prominent part of the documentary. Uh, as well as John Carpenter, so it's in it's it makes sense to have him be in the documentary if they could get him. Uh, and they live. And too, they live. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I would have loved to have hear, heard uh, Roddy Roddy Piper's thoughts on this. This is true. That would have been great. If you ever listen to the uh, special edition DVD commentary, uh, <laughs> Roddy Roddy Piper and John Carpenter appear to be watching two completely different movies at the same time. <laughs> if Roddy Roddy Piper is going on about, uh, you know, reptilians and conspiracy theories and John Carpenter's like, uh, yeah, no, that's not what I was going for at all here, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, one of them definitely drank the Kool-Aid that they didn't realize the other was trophy. <laughs> Did you have any uh, big surprises uh, like that of movies that they featured in this? Because one of the ones that was featured that they talked about or talked yeah that i was not expecting that to be because honestly i haven't thought about the movie since i saw it as a kid was night of the comet like i don't know if i necessarily consider that a horror movie i i i i i don't know there's is there zombies in that kind of yeah i mean Um, i remember i remember the whole like everybody dies except for the people that were in certain like the two sisters the one other guy and another guy and then they try and get into a military base or something like that but yeah and um that one no i if there was any surprises in there it was with who they talked to um i was kind of expecting joe bob briggs to be in there i've mentioned before i love me some joe bob briggs he was yeah he was in there Oh, that was actually. Yeah, he was in there. Oh, you're saying that was the surprise? That was one of the surprises. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Who they talked to, um, which was uh, Joe Bob Briggs, Uh, and the one that I was really surprised was in there was one of my favorite YouTubers. Uh, I wrote an article about his channel in one of my uh, editorials for our site. Yep. Uh, James Rolfe, the angry video game nerd, mm-hmm. uh, who also, as himself, will review horror movies uh, every Halloween around the high re- Halloween. He'll just do marathons of uh, scary movies. And uh, it's worth checking out if you're into just seeing compilation lists of horror and other t- sci fi movies. He does really great work on that. 
um, I was really glad that he was in there. I was like, okay, cool. Like we're starting to see now more and more, I think the, uh, the YouTubers personalities are starting to branch out a bit more mainstream. Um, I've seen a few others as well besides him, but this one was just really, I thought it was kind of delightful to have him in there. I was like, all right, like he's really moving up in the world. <laughs> was there anything uh, that you learned from this documentary? Um, that people were just more willing to take chances on stuff in the eighties. <laughs> I mean, you have some wacky, wacky plots and they even talk about it towards the end of the documentary is how, you know, you'll come up with one idea of a guy with a glove with blades on it. that will kill you in your sleep and you do it as, as a one-off or a murders happening at a camp. And then 30 years later, 40 years later, we're still making sequels for those movies because they <laughs> resonate with pop culture. And, you know, they, they talk about the big three, you know, Freddie, Jason and Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. It's how these guys just have this and, and that they're all very different characters, how they're portrayed, but they all just seem to resonate so strongly with people. I mean, people get tattoos of them. I have a six year old nephew that his favorite thing to do is walk around in a Michael Myers mask at home. <laughs> um, I mean, just they get to the point where the, I, I like how they talk about how, Technically, the monsters are the heroes of the story because that's who you want to see. You want to see the creative kills that Jason does. That's true. Uh, uh, and, and how there's very few uh, like actual hero hero characters like Ash uh, from the, the Evil Dead being one of the biggest exceptions where uh, he's not a particularly likable character, but he's just so charming. Well, that's and- just Bruce Campbell for you. Yeah, that's Bruce Campbell all the way. I, like, I don't think anyone else could have done that role. No, he did. Uh, what do they call him? The chin. The chin. Yeah, the chins. The this what gets the billing, and he's just there for the ride. <laughs> but you know, also so, they even at one point they talked to Lloyd Kaufman about you know the Toxic Avenger, like that he's the monster. They were making a monster movie, and then they were like, wait no he's the good guy he this is a superhero movie like that that's hilarious that the monster in the movie becomes the good guy yeah and it was just like a constantly like morphing thing like it seemed like none of it was locked down to the point where they said the tagline of the movie was made up on the spot by somebody that just walked off the street and looked at what they were doing (laughs) the first superhero from new jersey (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i was like wow (laughs) Like that was not part of the plan this whole time. That was just, it, it I don't know. It, it kind of it harkens back to this idea of like movies can be magic. Yeah. When you just have the right people involved and they all just get together and they do this project and it's just out there now and it just resonates with people. I mean, nowadays from what I know of behind the scenes stuff, when it's like a big studio production, everything is so controlled. True. You know, every like, there's yeah. no, there's very little room for improvising, basically, um, especially when you're spending a big studio's oh. money. You know, they want to make sure they make a return on their investment. Definitely. Back then, it just kind of felt like, hey, let's just do whatever. And yeah, well, you know, that's definitely what the, a lot of them say. And like, like in the when they're talking about like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, like you know, they're, they're talking about, oh, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants and stuff like that. You know, uh, but really. 
Tromaville, like the Toxic Avenger, that's that's flying by the seat of your pants. That's like we don't even know what we're f- shooting the next hour kind of thing. Like there's definitely a lot more control and stability in the in a, a studio film even back then. Yeah. And I mean when you have like experienced people that know the structure and the process. Yeah, like the the trauma people definitely seem like they were just a rat pack group of <laughs> like all right, I'm going to run the camera today. You can hold the the sound the boomstick or something. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, there was just the the it was all about the the explosion of creativity and ingenuity. Um I think with movies like uh, 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 American Werewolf in London and The Thing, Mm -hmm. which both came out around the same time, uh, Rob Bottin and uh, Stan Winston, I believe, were the two big people involved in those two movies, uh, which I think they also kind of did some back and forth. They helped each other a lot. Um, There was friendly rivalries, but they also, you know, would collaborate when the project was too big. And just the the creature feature, you know, the the increase in Muppets and how you could finally start doing. I don't think before this, I think in the 70s, you had puppets, but you didn't really have like radio controlled animatronics and, you know, things like that. Everything was either like some kind of puppet or marionette or a costume. And here now you start having like really complex, uh, you know, creature designs. Uh, you know, they talk about how they did Pumpkinhead, which I had no idea, kind of going back. I haven't seen that in forever. Mm-hmm. But looking at the behind-the-scenes stuff and how it's, you see, like, the the rough skeleton of, you know, the suit and how the guy that's wearing the suit is actually standing on stilts. Like, I, that had never occurred to me before, that that guy was on stilts. <laughs> I just assumed it was a tall guy. And then I was like, oh, yeah, like, there's, there's no way a normal person could have stood in that thing. That's way too tall and also it's got like the cloven legs of like a uh like a you know pachyderm or something so yeah the the ingenuity that went into doing a lot of that stuff like i would watch an entire four-hour documentary on just the special effects of 80s movies let alone like their impact and everything else that went along with that yeah but then you have like uh what was it basket case where it's that whole like I don't know. Was it? Is it called Basket Case? The 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 uh the little creature Cronenberg. Yeah, the little fucking head thing, <laughs> and it's destroying that hotel room, and it's all claymation, stop stop motion. Oh yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah the the monster's name is Belial. Yeah, that whole like yeah, I get it. What you're saying with the whole like the innovation and stuff like that, but like. If I sat down, and maybe this is just because it's it was before my time or whatever, but if I sat down and paid good money to go to the theater and watch that watch a movie and that happened, I'd be pissed. <laughs> well, that was more of the grindhousey type movies. That's yeah. true. I mean, That's you wouldn't want to go see Tenet and then have it a, a three minute sequence of claymation, you know, <laughs> that was poorly done like that. Um, but yeah, like there's definitely, I mean, I, I laughed out loud at some of those old special effects, especially now with like 4k transfers and Blu-ray versions, you can see a lot of the seams that weren't visible back then when it was on film, (laughs) you know, and on VHS, you couldn't see a lot of the, the, uh, the matting issues and the, when they were talking about Friday the 13th in 3d, 
and they're saying, oh, I had that really great kill where Jason pops the, the dude's head open and his eyes pop out. Uh-huh. You can see the string that pulls the eye out of the, the, the mask or whatever that was, that head. I was like, wow, that's bad. You know, like there's definitely a lot of not great special effects, even in the good movies. I mean, pre-CGI. Well, you have to just be really creative with your life. <laughs> yeah, you really have to suspend your disbelief. But like in Christine, when the car is rebuilding itself, like the way they shot that, that was pretty awesome. The revert, the, you know, play the uh, record in reverse and or is it play it back in reverse? And uh, they were pulling the chains like they had chains on the inside of the car as they were pulling it in. So when they played it forward, it looked like the car was coming back. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. I always liked that little type of effect in Christine. They do that a little bit in the Wraith, too. True. The car puts itself back together. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that was pretty awesome. I always, I, I never didn't realize it was chains and they were just filming it in reverse. Uh, I always assumed that it was some kind of chemical reaction, like when you have those metal gas cans. Oh, yeah. And then you drop something in it and it makes it like implode. Mm hmm. I thought it was something like that shot in reverse. But I was like, oh, yeah, chains. That makes perfect sense. Uh, kind of unrelated to this because this is the 90s, but uh, do you know how they did that special effect for the water ripple in the Jurassic Park uh, cup of water? I don't. I've, I just assumed it was sound. Well, it was, but it wasn't like some... Well, the original idea, kind of tangential... Steven Spielberg thought, well, what if we just play like Earth, Wind, and Fire really loud wow. and the bass make it, you know, do that ripple? <laughs> and I guess it was one of his production designers was like, well, why don't we just tie a bass string to the car and just pluck it? That'll make the whole car vibrate. Oh. And he was like, what? And yeah, that's all it was. They tied a bass string to the chassis of the car. When you pluck the string, it makes the whole car vibrate. <laughs> I was like, See, it's creative, simple, but who yeah. would have thought of that? No. Except some madman that's just the right amount of crazy. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Spielberg, he, he he's talked about in this documentary quite a bit because he's the producer on a lot of things. Like, he's the producer on Gremlins, right? Uh, first Gremlins, yeah, Poltergeist. Poltergeist, yeah. Oh, that was the big thing about that. Like, they there's the the big rumor, or the thing that was going around that it was actually Spielberg who directed the movie, but. Uh, you know, it actually was the guy who directed the movie that directed the movie. Yeah, yeah, they they addressed that in here. They were saying that, oh yeah, Spielberg like ghost directed it. You know, he was probably on set and he probably gave advice, but no, yeah, they credited one guy and it sounds like he's the one that did it. Um, which also another great fantastic movie. Um, I love a sequence that they show that they talk about like the performance as well of like the creatures where they show you the tar man from from return of the living dead night of the living dead yeah. return of the living dead yeah. okay and um i mean that performance of that actor in that's like gross <laughs> yucky suit that's something else man like <laughs> like the way he moves around is kind of how i feel sometimes when i just don't want to get out of bed and kind of lurching around and I just think to myself, brains, <laughs> got that zombie walk. Um, yeah, they go into. So basically, my biggest takeaway from this movie is that I've seen a lot of horror movies. <laughs> See, mine was the opposite, that I have not seen a lot of horror <laughs> movies. Like, 
like I've heard of people talk about Chopping Mall, but I've never actually watched it, and that okay. thing is ridiculous looking. It's it's bad. It's not great. <laughs> and just to uh, listen to like the cast members cut it down, like the one lady was like, <laughs> "I mean, the movie's called Chopping Mall. Makes people think that people are gonna get chopped up, but you don't. You get hit with lasers. It's like you get lasers. Yeah. <laughs> and then plus the the cover was also like misdirecting you because it looks like a severed hand that was like, oh, what's going on here? And that never happens in the movie either. <laughs> I mean. But still, you get bags at a mall, and chopping and shopping kind of rhyme. So I understand why some executive somewhere went with it. Like, it didn't sound like they had too good of a uh, idea going, anyways. No, this sounds like it's one of those situations from like that Canon documentary where they came up with the movie poster first, yep, <laughs> and just made a film around it. <laughs> It just doesn't give me the the confidence that they had a solid plan. And plus, those robots looked ridiculous. Those robots look redis- did look ridiculous, but like most robots in the 80s did look ridiculous. So, Yeah, this one looked like a cross between a Cylon and that robot from Rocky IV. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, like, I, I like, like that this is lame. I like that this is the horror version of Short Circuit because it's the exact same thing. It's a robot that yeah. gets struck by lightning and now it's sentient and kind of. Th- well, I guess they weren't really sentient. They, their programming just got messed up. Like, it was. I would say it's more like Westworld, but in a shopping mall. Yeah. <laughs> they're supposed to be like the security, I guess. Yeah. Is that what they they're say? supposed to be security, but they're taking it too far yeah. now. Well, I mean, that I served those kids' rights for breaking into the mall at night when they shouldn't be there because that's the only time they could film in it. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Like, as a premise for the beginning of a movie, like, hey, we have nothing better to do, so let's just go hang out in a mall after it closes and we'll party here. Like, really? That's that's the, the start of the catalyst of this movie? You're going to party in a mall? I mean, in a way, it makes sense. You have everything you need there at the mall. You know, like just, you need uh, some party favors. You go down to the party store. Is this is this is this a, is this a direct result for like from Dawn of the Dead? Like the idea, like because that all took place in a mall. So they're like, oh, we need to do a horror movie set in a mall. I honestly, I think it was just they realized, hey, we can film here at night when there's nobody here, and it looks like we spend a lot of money getting this location. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be surprised at all, actually, now, if they just broke in, like, literally without telling anybody, just filmed in there. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that there was, the, the mall had to have known that they were filming there. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're right. You know, out of all the movies that they talked about, I think only like a couple of them, I know for a fact I haven't seen. One of them was that Little Red Riding Hood story. Oh, I I had, I had never heard of that one before, too. Yeah, it's like Battle Dogs or Ghost Dogs was another one. The, yeah. the Soldier Dogs, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, those two, I know for a fact I haven't come across. There's a few other genetically engineered Rottweiler movies that I remember seeing, um, <laughs> but this one was not one of them. No. As a matter of fact, I can't remember the name of it now, but I remember there was this one genetically engineered dog movie where at one point he pees on something and his pee is so strong it's like acid. I remember that movie, and the, he also eats a cat in that movie. Yeah, 
And I mean, like, he just, like, gobbles it down like Pac-Man. It just goes right down his gullet. It's also the movie that's featured in Friday when uh, John Witherspoon's character is is laid up in bed in, in the... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the bailman spraying him with the pepper spray and he's not going for it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah good pull on that one. <laughs> yes, Mr. Postman. Anyways, <laughs> I can't remember what the name of that movie is, though. For the life of me. I know uh, I've seen it a few it'll times. It'll come back to me eventually, yeah. Um, there was, uh, there was, a an, another, another movie on there. Oh, Night of the Creeps. Like, I think that is one I've been trying to get you to watch forever. Now. I was going to say, I remember like when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is the one that John wants me to watch. And I was like, I can't believe this is what John wants me to watch. <laughs> It's it's got that kitschy like Monster Squad feel though because it's by Fred Decker. It is and uh, and uh, Shane Black. I mean, it's basically the same crew was involved. And um, it's I'll admit the way that they portrayed it in this documentary doesn't do it justice because <laughs> they really gloss over a lot of the points of the movie. It's and of course, I mean, I watched it when I was like five or six years old when it was on repeat on HBO back in the day. So obviously I do have some nostalgia for it, but I say it's just as good uh, as Monster Squad. It's just a different kind of movie. It's I mean, if you like Slither, this is essentially like the progenitor to that. It really is. Like after I mean, I once again I haven't seen the movie yet, but like just from the little bit that I saw in this documentary, I'm like, that's Slither. Like James Gunn just remade Night of the Creeps. It's kind of thing. Basically, yeah. yeah. It's um well, I, I mean, mean James Gunn definitely added a lot more humor. That was overt, whereas Night of the Creeps, the humor is kind of like dark. Yeah. Like they talk about that famous scene where the the, the actor says, I got good news and bad news. Your dates are here. And the bad news is they're all dead. They're you know, all like, dead. Out of context, that sounds really lame. But like if you see his character throughout the whole movie, that's how he is. He's just really like he's seen it all. He's very grizzled, very sarcastic. So yeah what what's again? that's uh that was uh what's his name tom atkins like <laughs> yeah who's featured in a few different movies in this documentary oh too. yeah quite a bit he's even in halloween 3 season of the witch like i loved that too i loved how <laughs> all these people dove all these people that interviewed like dive into the sequels and stuff like there's the one guy i don't remember who it is but he's like season of the like halloween 3 if it was just called season of the witch and had absolutely nothing branding wise for halloween it would have done well like it it, but when people were expecting to see uh mike michael myers and 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 uh, a sequel to the other halloween movies it it really throws them off so like they did a disservice by making it a part of the halloween franchise see and that's that's absolutely true this was definitely something that could have just been its own thing um, and the only thing that joined it to Halloween was the fact that it took place around Halloween. Yeah. Uh, the, the Halloween movie, there's no specific reason why it needed to take place during that time frame, other than Michael Myers would be able to walk around in a mask, therefore not arousing suspicion until it's too late. Um, this one makes more sense because it's about haunted Halloween masks or whatever it was that caused these Halloween masks to kill people. And if they were smart, I think that the missed opportunity here is that they could have come up with a link to this and the Halloween franchise with Michael Myers. You know, they could have come up with a way of saying that the Michael Myers mask somehow was part of this Shamrock company, or maybe it could have been like a lost prototype. 
And that's why he was essentially like a, a like supernatural killer that was like resilient to pain and seems to keep coming back from the dead all the time because, you know, like it was related to whatever this Stonehenge witch evil cult thing that was making these cursed masks was all about. But no, they're just completely unrelated and yeah. But at the same time, it's interesting to hear that uh, John Carpenter didn't think that there was any real um, like follow-up after the first Halloween, let alone the second one. It was like, well, what more do we do? I mean, we keep killing him at the end of every movie. <laughs> like, we can't just keep copying out and saying, well, that wasn't really him or nope, he survived after all. You know, like it's, He acknowledged the ridiculousness of it, but even he relented to like, well, I mean, this is bigger than me now. It's got a life of its own. Yeah, you know, that's like the only thing that I can find that really is the difference between Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. Like, Michael Myers is still just a dude. Like, yes, he's very resilient to pain, and every time that it's he's dead, it's usually somebody else that that he placed in his his in his costume or whatever, right? Yeah, major fake out. Yeah, but Voorhees, like, even in uh, was it Friday the Thirteenth? four three Final. one of the, one of the ones where it the one with feldman where he puts the machete right into jason's face or like head and then jason like pushes his face through it kind of thing like yeah like basically slices half of his head off yeah like but before he still comes back so he's not just a, a guy like obviously after the first movie you see him jump up out of the water and pull that girl down like after she survived living through the mother killing all of her friends, right? So yeah. Now there's uh, again tangential, but you could make the rationalization that Jason didn't really die, that he survived, um, but the mother still was so angry that they almost let him die. That that's why she still did all of those murders. And then at the end, when uh, the character kills uh, Jason's mother, then that's him taking revenge now for her death. And he doesn't become supernatural until around the third movie, I think. Because oh. up in the second movie, that's when he's got the potato sack over his head. Right. And the third movie is when um, he gets the, the hockey mask. Yeah. the Actually, I think the fourth movie is when he gets the hockey mask. I thought it was the third. Maybe it's the third. Maybe. Oh. Could have sworn that that was when he still didn't have it. I don't know. It was a weird one, though, because it's one of those like trivia night questions where it's like, uh, you know, when did he start wearing the hockey mask? And it's definitely wasn't the first because he wasn't even in it technically. In the, right. And the second, second one is the potato sack. sack. Yeah. So it has to be the third, but I think there might even be a, it might not be until the fourth. Now I was really surprised because I didn't know this, but Kane Hodder, the person that's arguably the most famous person to play Jason, I don't think was Jason until part six. I think it's, it's either five or six. Like yeah, yeah. He, he does he does all the way up till ten. Uh but yeah, he, it's not That's it's Jason in space, right? Yeah, Jason X, Jason in space. And he was also in Freddy versus Jason, was he not? That's true. It was him in J- Freddy versus Jason. But it wasn't him in the Friday the thirteenth remake with Jared Pedlecki. And you know what's interesting too? I don't know why I know this com- uh the little trivia detail as well, but Kane Hodder played Wilson Fisk's bodyguard yep. in Daredevil. I remember that. I remember seeing him in Daredevil and being like, oh, that's Jason. That's Jason Voorhees. 
Well, I mean, it figures that someone like the Kingpin would have to have someone like Jason covering <laughs> his back. Uh, do you have a, a favorite? Like, is Kane Hodder your favorite Voorhees? I mean, I guess so. I don't know if I like my favorite movie, and I think it's the one that he first started, is the one where he grabs that uh, camper inside the sleeping bag and just bashes him against a tree. <laughs> like, I don't know why, of all the kills that he's done, that one just feels so brutal. <laughs> I was like, geez, like, <laughs> at least stab him or something. I mean, that blood force trauma just feels so impersonal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would say Kane Hodder's probably my favorite. Um, I can't name any of the others at this point. I know that they used a new one for the, the remake of the Friday right. the 13th. Yeah, the one with um, Jared Pedlecki. So I have no idea who that even was. Um but, uh, yeah, like, there's some characters. I mean, like, I can't, even though Jackie Earl Haley did a decent job as Freddy, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't separate Robert Englund from it. Well, I love like, that in the documentary. Yeah, I know. And I love that in the documentary, the actress that plays Nancy, I can't think of her name at the moment, but she goes into the whole, like, you know, Robert Englund, everything he did on, on camera was very specific because he was such a well-trained actor like even though he's playing this over-the-top ridiculous character like he made sure that every motion that he did with the glove or you know in dancing around was all very very well thought out and and it was just a cool thing to hear like he took it very serious and then the same thing with uh um uh uh the actor who played, who was in uh, Psycho, like, uh, oh Anthony Perkins, yeah Anthony Perkins, like when they were talking about how he is, he was such a serious actor, and then you know he 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 ends up coming back to do Psycho movies again because it's just what he's been cast as now, and the second movie is is different from the first movie, and the third movie is really different because it's the one that he gets to he gets to direct in, and it's kind of a very meta situation because like he's just taking out his frustrations of being known as uh what's the name of the character in psycho oh uh, norman bates norman bates thank you yeah yeah that was really interesting too because i i knew that he had uh, directed it and um i know that they went up to like psycho five at some point and yeah part three is where it takes a really big departure and I remember too, it was like, man, who did this? Who directed this? And I was like, he did, the actor. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh. And at the time, I mean, at the time, I wasn't really that versed into the Psychoverse. Um, I mean, I'd seen the first one, and I think I'd seen the second one at that point. By the time I got to the third, I was like, I, I, these people don't even know what they're doing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't really appreciate it, you know, because it was meant to be different because of the behind the scenes stuff, like you're saying, that Anthony Perkins was like, all right, I'll come back again. But like this time, I want to have more control over it. And they were like, yeah, okay, go ahead. And yeah, like you get like, I don't know if it's a good movie, but it's a very interestingly shot movie. Yeah. I mean, especially since you get to, if you know the background to it. And, I love that there was there's all these whenever there was one of these successful horror films there was another company that came in and tried to remake it but with their own way and then there was also the company that came in and tried to make the funny version of it 
It was a funny version of Psycho? No, no, no. I'm not just talking about Psycho. I'm just talking about in general. Like if there's this if one of these movies were successful, another company came in to try and copy it, and then another company would come in and try and uh make make a funny version of that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Where they would do like parodies of stuff or um basically cashing in on the popularity that the original had. Correct. Well, then, and they also talk about the evolution of the characters, too. Like, when Freddy first comes out, um, you know, he's very a very serious, straightforward kind of evil presence. And it wasn't until, like, the third movie, uh, The Dream Warriors, I believe, which some people, most people, I think, and myself included, think that that's probably the best one of the original 80s run. Um, because that's where they really start to explore some wacky dream stuff. <laughs> and, I mean, I just absolutely love the, uh, the the look of that one character. I remember they made a toy of it, too, like a little uh, NECA, I think, did like a diorama of that one character that's at the psych ward mm-hmm. that already cuts the tendons out of his arms and legs and turns him into like a puppet. Yep, a marionette, like, and he walks him right off the roof. Yeah, like that scene is so awesome. And they talk about the the TV one bashes the girl's head into the screen like i just have that burned in my memory like i remember being like eight years old and seeing that and And thinking i probably shouldn't be watching this honestly that's you know of all the freddy kills like the the marionette one walking off the roof of the hospital is the is the one that's burned in my mind like i've I've watched a lot of the freddy cougar movies but that i always think of that one too like it's it's really i mean there's Brecken Meyer dies in a video game in the ver- the one that he's in. Was it Freddy's Dead? Yeah, yeah, the Final Nightmare. Yeah. Or I believe so. Um, yeah, so uh, like I remember we well one of my week's watches that I did recently was uh, Child's Play, the the reboot with Mark Hamill and Aubrey Plaza, mm-hmm. and like it's such a sharp contrast with the way that the Chucky doll is portrayed. Where I mean the it. In this newer version, it has no malice. It's just basically bad programming, and it's just doing what it thinks it needs to do to make its owner happy. Now, contrast that to like the scenes or the highlights that they show you of the uh, the Brad Dourif version or portrayal, mm-hmm. and just the seething anger and hatred that he spews when he's trying to kill like Andy's mom or like fighting against the the cop guy. I mean, like, that is, like, real horror right there to me. Like, yeah, it'd be, like, pretty scary if your Roomba went out of control and, you know, tried to kill you. But, like, it doesn't really know any better. It's 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 essentially no worse than the wild animal at that point. This is, like, this thing wants you dead like <laughs> nothing else. Well, like, that's and, the, the funny thing is, like, it you know, Simpsons in their Treehouse of Horrors does a parody of uh child's play where a crusty doll tries to kill the simpsons and then at the end of it it's oh it's, someone just said it to evil and then that's what the the remake of child's play is is that oh someone just said it to evil like that's exactly right they just uh reprogrammed it to 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 be bad um so who's the real villain is it is it really technology or is it mankind it's mankind <laughs> Uh, so is it? Did they go over your favorite movie from the eighties? Horror movie from the eighties? I mean, they went over several. I mean, they covered the thing. 
Um, they didn't cover Little Shop of Horrors, which uh, even though it's funny and it's a musical, I still thought it was scary when I was a kid. I mean, they covered Gremlins, so why wouldn't they cover Little Shop of Horrors? Right, and Gremlins is great. And like Gremlins is one of those weird, wacky movies because it's a family movie, it's a Christmas movie, it's also scary if you're a kid. No joke, I saw that in the theater when it came out. And once the evil gremlins, like, I mean, they do a really good job when in, I mean, you can't really do this anymore too because society's changed so much. Now you have your stupid paranormal activities where it's a whole bunch of nothing and then like a loud sound and a jump scare and that gets people to come and pay like full admission. This was the way that they would reveal the monsters in the 80s was so meticulous and deliberate. And that was also practical because it would help you save money on your budget, mm-hmm. not having to show the monsters yep. until you were ready for it. So like the first sequences where you start having um, the uh, the evil Mogwise coming out, like in the school, I think was the first one. And uh, it gets out of its cage. You just see a bunch of slime there. The professor's looking for it. And you just hear like the sounds of it running around, but you you never see it throughout this whole scene. And then it attacks the teacher and then eventually kills him. I was scared to death in that theater of like having my feet dangling that I had to like cocoon myself in my chair. <laughs> I was afraid of a gremlin that would run around. Same thing with ghoulies. They ne- they didn't touch on ghoulies at all. That was surprising. Yeah, and I was scared to death about going to the bathroom for a very long time after watching Ghoulies. Yep, yep, that's that's definitely true. You don't even want to know how to deal with that. <laughs> I, 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 I really enjoyed how they broke down uh, Gremlins in this documentary. Like, the fact that it started off as a horror movie, and then it was like, oh, no, this is a kid's movie, like, kind of thing. And, and you know, Gizmo gets a lot more play, and uh, they even refilm that whole bar scene in like a couple of days or something like that. So, yeah. I thought that was interesting how they said they did that too, where it was essentially like, Oh, just like a skeleton crew went in and we just started filming all these little vignettes, basically like all these different gags that they had to rig up. There's a Frank Sinatra. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Gremlin. And then there's- I realized, wait a minute, we have a huge discrepancy here because the gremlins are drinking beer Shouldn't that be making them just start multiplying even more? Yeah, you're right. That's true. Maybe that's like it's it's contaminated. I guess I don't know. Maybe because it's not pure water. It's it's hops. Uh, but no, because later in the movie they jump in the pool, and the pool is got chlorine in it. But it still makes it so that they multiply. Yeah. See, so that that's a big plot hole right there. And they talk about the plot holes of the first movie and the second, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> I, I didn't realize it at the time. I always thought, like, I, as well, like, man, this movie's weird. It's nothing like the first one. But then I realized, oh, because they're doing a meta commentary on the first one to the point where they even have Leonard Malton do a review of the first movie yeah. on camera <laughs> and then get it by privilege. So you, you were talking about the, the next one in the series is In Search of Star or something? In Search of Tomorrow. In Search of Tomorrow, which is going to be a sci-fi version. And uh, I, I think uh, yes. I can't wait to see to see that, too. Yeah, it's not slated to come out until June 30th, 2021. So almost a year away from now. But, I mean, just looking at the cover of the, the, the art for it, I mean, I can already tell this is going to have Back to the Future, Star Trek, Spaceballs, Star Wars. 
and uh, The Last Starfighter. <laughs> and I mean, if that alone wasn't enough, they're going to probably have a few hidden gems, maybe stuff I haven't even seen in a while, like uh, You're the Hunter from the Future. Oh, no. Or, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's just so much good stuff in there that uh, I can't wait till that one comes out, too. I mean, I I won't be mad if it's four and a half hours long also. I'll just have, I'll be better prepared. Let's put it that way. Yes, be better prepared. And uh, right now, the In the Search of Darkness can be found on Shudder. Yes, and I think it's worth it, guys. You get a seven-day free trial. <laughs> uh, this uh, podcast is brought to you by Shudder.com. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, free trial, seven days. Give it a shot. It's really awesome. Uh, if you want to talk to to me more about horror films, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia GEM, but I think your better bet is to talk to John on Twitter because he's the horror film aficionado. Where can they find you, John? You can find me on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. Tell me what uh, made you be scared of going to the bathroom when you were a kid. <laughs> uh, but until next time, this is Overtime on the Geek's Watch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to... Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.